I'm going to put a picture on the screen. Some of you would have seen it around on our socials. This is our El Salvador team. I show this picture, A, because they're looking very happy and uh, excited, uh, but also to remind you, if you're not praying for them each week or each day, there's a prayer guide at the Welcome Center that you can pick up. Uh, it's also, uh, you received it in your newsletter. This came electronically this week as well. So I would encourage you to be praying for these folks as they head into their last week. They will be arriving in Moncton late, late, late Friday night and arriving to their homes early, early, early Saturday morning. So this is their last week, so please uh, keep praying for them. Uh, if you are a movie watcher, you know that there are moments in a movie where the plot starts to unfold, and you just kind of say to yourself, now it's going to get good, right? If you are of the horror genre which I am not, but if you're a horror movie fan and you watch the movie and there's someone and they're home alone by themselves at night and they hear something in the basement and they decide to go down the stairs, you lean in because you know this is about to get good because you know they're not coming back. They're going to disappear. Something's going to happen to them, right? And you know they don't go down and hear, oh, is this the furnace being noisy? That's not how it works. When someone goes down into the basement late at night in a horror movie, you just lean in. You say, okay, here we go. If you're like an action thriller, which is my genre, and uh, you know the storylines about this retired military person, and uh, you know his daughter gets kidnapped, and then he goes out to the garage and he opens that door that just, and it's got like bazookas and machine guns and hand grenades. You just lean in because you know it's going to get good, right? This is what I came to see. I came to see this. You know that this is about, something significant is about to happen. If you are like Christmas Hallmark movie person, we don't judge you. You're welcome here. Um, but you know if... if the story starts out with this high-powered New York executive, and she comes home after being tired of the New York life to her little country town, and she runs into her high school boyfriend at the football game. You know what's going to happen, right? You just lean in because this is why you came for the movie. It's, you know, things are about to get started. In the same way, by now, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, there's moments that as we see certain things happen, we should lean in. Because we know that God is about to do something significant. And it usually looks something like this. God calls a specific person to a specific task. And they go, I don't know. And then God speaks again, and they do it. And in every time we read through the book of Acts and see that pattern unfold of God speaks, the person is reluctant, and then they go ahead and do it anywhere. You lean in because, you know, in that moment, we are going to see God do something significant. Today, as we look at um, Acts chapter 9... We've got three characters in the story, a mega character, a major character, and a minor character. The mega character is the Lord who pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, alivening the church and sending them into the world on mission. The major character is the apostle Paul, currently in this story referred to as Saul, who will go on to become a minister to the Gentiles, will write large sections of the New Testament. He's kind of the major character. The minor character is a man by the name of Ananias. This is the only verses where he appears. And so I'm going to spend the time today really looking at the story of Ananias as we think about what it means to be the church 
today. So I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 19 verses. This is such an important story um, and for you and I as people of faith as we understand how God's going to move next. It's on page 1706 if you're using the red Bible in front of you. If you're at home, you can look it up on your Bible or look it up electronically as well. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, if you have been tracking with us through this series, you'll remember that when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit breathes out, is breathed into the believers. This image of being breathed out and it gives life and it sends the church out on mission. Here, I can't help but think that Luke's being a little bit cheeky when he says that Saul is breathing out murderous threats. He went to the high priest And he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who were belonged to the way, which was what they, the phrase they used to talk about Christians, they lived a certain way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Here's the part that we're going to look at really in focus today. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. It's where the old Kmart used to be. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Interesting. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on his name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, brother Saul. Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And in my immature imagination, I picture Ananias being the one who baptizes him. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Luke captures for us 
this really significant thing that's happening in the life of the early church. It started so great. The Holy Spirit comes, the church is growing, people are being healed, the ministry is expanding, but now there is this movement of persecution that's taking place from the religious community in particular. It started in Jerusalem, and now it's moving towards the city of Damascus. The story of the martyrdom of Stephen is spreading like wildfire. People are talking about it at church, they're talking about it at prayer meeting, they're talking about it in the parking lot afterwards that Saul has now gone to the high priest and he's got a hunting license from them in order to pursue Christians, the people of the way, in the city of Damascus. And he's going to find them and he is going to bring them back to Jerusalem. And fear is spreading. And uncertainty is spreading. And so what is God going to do with a situation like this? Well, he's going to call a guy by the name of Ananias. And Ananias, we don't know hardly anything about him other than he's given the most great title, the title that you and I should all ascribe to be called someday, that if we're going to pick one word to describe your life, disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. He's an apprentice of Jesus. He's learning and growing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is a disciple. This is his title. And his call Go to a certain street, to a certain house, and in there's a certain guy, Saul from Tarsus, you know him, and I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to get so close to him, you can put your hands on his body and pray for him. Now, as we read the passage, now is when we lean in. The time is fearful, it's uncertain. And then God has this unique call to someone named Ananias to do what seems the most irresponsible and ridiculous thing. I mean, Ananias is open to it. He's not completely close to it. He gets asked to go and pray so that Saul could simply receive his sight, which can't be comforting for Ananias because God told him, oh, by the way, I told Saul what you look like. I gave him a vision, Ananias, of what you look like. And Saul's thinking, why would you do that? This guy's going looking for people, and why would you give him my picture in his mind? And then go and pray, and his sight comes back, and he sees me. There's going to be trouble. And Ananias cannot see how God is going to be at work in this situation. This becomes the challenge. God, I'm looking, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I do not see how it is that you're going to work. He was having vision problems. Maybe you've had circumstances in your life where you've just looked at it and said, God, I don't know how you're going to work in this. I don't see it. I see the facts. I understand I've been thinking about it for a really, really long time, but I see no way that you can work in this situation. I think of people who are praying for loved ones, praying for them to find faith, and they just keep looking, and the person keeps going further and further away from the Lord, and they just say, God, I don't see how you're going to work in this. I see family situations that are so complicated and so messy, and you just look at it and you wonder, God, how can you make anything out of this mess? Or people who are wrestling with God to be obedient in certain areas of their life, and all they can see is the cost required in order to obey. And they just say, God, I don't see it. I don't see how you can be at work. What I love about this moment And Luke does such a great job capturing it for us, is he just really gives us an insight into how Ananias processes this, I would say, so naturally with the Lord in prayer. Notice the difference between Saul 
and Ananias. When Jesus appears to Saul, he says, who are you? When the Lord appears to Ananias, he says, yes, Lord. He knows the Lord. He knows the Lord's voice in his life. The Lord calls him by name and gives him a task. And Ananias honestly says to him, I don't know. I've heard about this guy. I don't see this working out really well. I'm not sure that you've thought about all the things. Let me maybe propose a better plan to preferably somebody else. And God, in response, comes back to him and says, well, actually, I know the first time I spoke to you about this, I just wanted you to pray for him so he'd get his sight back, but actually I've got more planned. He's going to be my instrument. He's going to appear as my missionary to the Gentiles. He is going to stand before kings and give witness to me. Now, Ananias has a decision to make. And I love in verse 17, it's probably one of my favorite lines in the entire chapter. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. He obeyed. Not because he had all the answers, not because God gave him a detailed plan that everything was going to work out well for him, but because he trusted. He took the step of faith and he walked to that house and he knocked on the door and he walked in and laid his hands on Saul. I just love the insight here into if you're struggling in a situation right now where you don't know how God's going to be at work and the invitation to say just bring it to the Lord in prayer. Ananias worked all of that angst out in prayer. He came to the Lord and he prayed. He shared with the Lord all of his concerns and frustrations and I don't think this is a good idea all in the spirit of prayer because prayer creates a will of agreement in our hearts with God's will. I'm struck by the uh, interesting word that um, the Lord uses here when he speaks about Saul. He says, he's going to be my instrument or my vessel, some of your translations might say. Kind of, he's going to be this uh, tool, not as in a negative sense, he's going to be this instrument that helps me accomplish something that I am wanting to do. And it reminds us again that all of us are God's instruments in some capacity. That every single person who's asked the Lord to be asked the Lord to be in their life and is filled with the Spirit has been given a gift. There's no such thing as a giftless believer. That God has given to each one of us something that we are to be using to help the Lord carry out His work right here, right now. That each of us are an instrument to be used in however the Lord would choose to use it. We talk about the priesthood of all believers. That everybody is gifted and able to be serving the Lord as a priest, as a mediator of grace in the world right now. Meaning that we should all be living with an openness to when God speaks. We might argue with Him for a little bit. We might have all kinds of questions. We might need to work it out for a season in prayer. But then we will go. We'll knock on the door and we'll enter and lay hands. Philip was a chosen instrument to the Ethiopian. Ananias is God's chosen instrument to Saul. Saul is the chosen instrument for the Gentiles. Who are you the chosen instrument for? Who's the person? Who are the people that God has positioned you to be his means of grace and mercy in their life? Now, Probably the thing I love about this story the most is that the Lord called Ananias to go place his physical, literal hands on Saul's body and to pray for him. This is personal. 
you cannot go up to somebody and lay your hands on them. Don't try this with the person next to you. Uh, you cannot go and put your hands on somebody's body without being really, really close and personal. But this is what the Lord asks Ananias to do. Why? I mean, God's had no problem handling Saul to this point. He took this powerful man that was on a rampage, and he has humbled him and limited him right to the ground. Saul came in with an agenda. He had papers, and God reduced him to a man that had to be led by the hand into town and that could not eat and could not drink and could not see. The Lord just completely muted him. Does the Lord need Ananias' help because he really can't close the deal? No. Why does he ask Ananias to literally go and lay hands on Saul? Well, there's a couple of things I think about. You've probably got your own thoughts too. But as we think about this is the moment that Saul turns his life and is going to be a man of ministry, is going to be an instrument on the Lord, that this moment and what he experiences in this moment will so shape his ministry going forward that there's a couple of things that are important. And the first is that ministry is essentially personal. Ministry is always personal. It's life on life. It requires you to knock on doors and enter into living rooms and be with people. To this point, Saul, as we've seen in other passages, is standing off to the sidelines giving orders to people and they do things at his request and they lay their jackets at his feet. He's not getting his hands dirty. But God calls Ananias to go and show Saul, if you're going to be in ministry, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to go and engage in people in where their spaces, where they are. Jesus comes in the flesh, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in people. Ananias shows up close enough, reaches out his hands, places his hands on Saul, and this becomes a reminder for Saul, as you go forward in ministry, you're going to have to get involved in people's lives. It's a reminder for you and I too. It's wonderful to pray for people. We should pray for people, but we should also be willing to go and knock on doors and sit down in living rooms and get to know people and minister to them face to face. I'm also struck at this image. I mean, think about Saul in this moment. He was really sure and certain about what he was doing with his life. He was heading in a certain direction. He was going to bring these religious um, minority underline. He was going to subdue them. And now he has seen that he's been on the wrong road, that what he's been participating in is actually working against God. And he's been humbled and reduced to nothing, sitting there in this home, unable to see, weakened. And in his most vulnerable moment, what does God do? He sends him somebody to come and put his hands on him. At the moment that he's most ashamed of what he's been up to and the things that he has participated in, God sends someone to step right into his space and get close enough to lay their hands on him and call him brother. This is significant for Saul. It's significant for us today too. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I'm so ashamed of where my life is at. And I feel so broken and weakened and I've just been reduced. And you're thinking, what is God going to do with someone like me? You know, he's going to send somebody to you and come and call you brother, call you sister and lay their hands on you. He's going to enter into your life in the most personal and intimate 
way. And this becomes an image for you and I as we think about what does it mean to be the church right now in 2023? It means that we are people who have mercy on our hands and we go into people's lives with that mercy. Last week, Philip jumps up into a chariot. This week, Ananias knocks on a door and enters into a living room. It's such a powerful image of grace that God sends people out into the lives of broken, lost, humbled people to give them mercy. Thomas Merton says this, the hands of the saint consecrate everything they touch for the glory of God. He knows, the saint knows the mercy of God, and the saint knows that his mission on earth is to bring mercy to all. What if this was just the thought that we could not let go of as the church, that everywhere we go we have mercy on our hands, and we're looking for people and entering into their life, coming with mercy on our hands. What if this is what it meant to be a disciple, the most dominant thought as followers of Christ? So Ananias prays. Something like scales fall off his eyes. I picture cataracts falling off his eyes. And Saul receives his sight. But in fact, I want to suggest to you, it wasn't just Saul who received his sight that day, but it was Ananias too. Because Ananias starts this story not able to see how God might be working in this situation. He's blind to it. He looks at the circumstances and says, no way. And at the end of it, he sees God and his ability in a brand new way. That while God was speaking to him, God was also over here speaking to Saul, working simultaneously in both of their lives, orchestrating his plan as though he is the man with instruments in his hand, working, carrying out his good and perfect will in the life of the church. And Ananias comes to a moment where he stands next to Saul, and he's now able to see him not as an enemy, but as a brother. Ananias received his sight that day as well. And I picture in my mind, again, my little imagination, that at the very end of this moment, after Ananias baptizes Saul, and he's walking home to his family, and he gets back into his house, and his family are all there, grateful that he made it back alive and that Saul didn't kill him, he gets to tell a story about the faithfulness of God. He gets to tell a story about the mercy of God lived out through his small act of faithfulness and the difference that it makes. Friends, this is our calling. We are God's instrument of mercy in the world. May we be willing to jump up into chariots and knock on doors and sit in living rooms and be God's presence there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these honest reminders that sometimes when you call us to go, it can be scary, it can be challenging, and we can just want to say no with every fiber of our being. That we admit today that there are times when we are blind to what it is that you can do. And so we pray that you would give us sight that you would give us sight to remember that we are your instruments with hands filled with mercy and grace called to go out into the world. 
And when we find people who have been weakened and broken down and feeling ashamed and think that there's no way that God could love them, we will lean in and take a step. We'll jump up into the chariot, we will knock on their door, and we will go in with mercy in our hands. The same mercy that transformed our lives. Lord, may we as your church, as your disciples, be willing to be your instrument of mercy, we pray.